Good evening, everyone. I'm going to ask for you to bow your heads as I kneel here to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for all that you have done and accomplished through uh, this weekend. And Father, as we we focus on this uh, next-to-last message for the night, we ask that your Spirit would accompany us in a powerful and mighty way. Father, our goal tonight is to lift up the cross. Help us, Lord, to see the correct place of the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The message that I'm going to be sharing with you tonight is a message that has become of particular importance to me. Um, You know, as I study the Bible more and more, I'm becoming more and more convicted that what Jesus Christ did on the cross is the central theme of the Bible. From Genesis to the book of Revelation, it is all about Christ and him crucified, Christ and him lifted up. And this particular message I've entitled, His Death Shall Bring. His Death Shall Bring. And uh, this, again, has become such, this particular message has become such, so crucial in in my own mind. Um, uh, I, I felt, as I was wrestling with what to share with you all, Uh, throughout my my four meetings, now five. Uh, uh, This message, you know, the Lord put upon upon my heart that this had to be one of those messages. And and I'm praying more and more that as I speak more and more, that all my messages will be cross-centered. Will you pray for me? I could do that. I mean, I want to, you know, preach a message on the seven trumpets and like, you know, have people just weeping about Jesus, you know? You know, is that? You think so? Just pray for me for that, because I believe that that is what the that is what the entire thing is about, isn't it? It's about Jesus, amen. amen. And uh, we know that that term "it's about Jesus" can be used to water down a whole lot. And in reality, that's not the truth. You know, when we really preach Jesus, everything that is connected with Jesus, we will see it in its proper importance, amen. 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 So. To begin, I want to just share, uh, uh, I'm going to set you up for for where I'm going. And I want to share with you a principle that I have learned called the second man principle. The second man principle. And, And basically what this principle reveals to us is that Christ is the second man. Uh, in the book of Corinthians, he's called the second Adam. Okay? Second Adam. And so I want to just share with you, the word Adam, by the way, means what? Means man. So really what it's saying is that Christ is the second man. Uh, uh, Do you realize that in reality there should be two yous? Did you know that? Two yous, yeah. There is the old you and there is the what? New you. And Paul said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet... Not I, but who? Christ that liveth in me. Christ was the second Paul. Christ 
is to be the second Ivor. Christ is to be the second you. Whoever you are, it is to be Christ all in all. Amen? Amen. So Christ is the second man. But I want to share with you just a couple examples from Scripture. How is Christ the second Adam? And, and really it's interesting that many of these I'm going to list to you, in fact, all of them I will list to you, reflect Christ's death in some way. Christ is the second Adam in this way. Adam was put to sleep in order for his bride, Eve, to be brought forth. Right? And where, did, where was Eve taken from? From his side. Jesus Christ, the first Adam, was, I'm sorry, the second Adam, was put to death or put to sleep on a cross. His side was pierced. Out came blood and water. And from that blood and water, spiritually speaking, the church, the second Eve, came on the scene. You see that? So Christ is the second Adam. Christ is also the second Abel. Abel came unto his own, and his own received him not. Christ came and he was, he was killed by, his, by those who he called brethren. Uh, Christ is the second Noah. Through Christ's death, he has provided a way of escape from the old world to the new world. He is the second Noah. Christ is the second Jacob who wrestled with God. Where did Christ wrestle with God? In the Garden of Gethsemane before he went to the cross. Christ is the second Joseph who was thrown into a pit by his brothers. Joseph is exalted in Egypt. The very ones that threw him into that pit ended up having to come to him in time of famine for bread and water. Humanity threw Jesus into a pit. What they meant for evil, God meant for good. Jesus resurrected, ascended to heaven, to the, to the highest place in heaven, under God, the Father, and all humanity must now come to him for salvation. Jesus, <laughs> let, me, let me just do it this, this way. Samson, remember we talked about Samson, was it this morning? Yeah, this morning. My days are getting mixed up. Samson. Samson is betrayed by a woman that he loves. His eyes are taken out, so he is blinded. He is beaten and mocked. He is led between two pillars... And the Bible says that Samson put his hands put his hands upon those two pillars. The Bible actually says that Samson bowed his head and pushed. And when Samson bowed his head and pushed, there was like, as it were, the, the building which he was in, there was, it was like a great earthquake. And the Bible says that the temple 
of, of, of uh, Dagon was destroyed. And the Bible also says that Samson slew more in his death than he did when he was alive. <laughs> Jesus is betrayed by the woman that he loves, Israel. He is blindfolded, beaten, and mocked. He is led between two crosses. The Bible says he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. And when he did that, there was a great earthquake. And in that great earthquake, Jesus slew, rephrase that, Jesus saved more in his death than he did when he was alive. And by the way, as for the temple of Dagon, you realize that Jesus died on that skull-shaped hill called Golgotha. That temple-shaped hill called Golgotha, which symbolized the temple of the dragon. Ah, you didn't get it. <laughs> so that when Jesus died, the temple of Lucifer, the, his, his, the, 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 the skull-shaped hill was broken apart, symbolizing that death blow spoken of in Genesis 3.15. He will bruise your heel, you will bruise his what? His head. So as we look through scripture, we find that, that, that Jesus is really all there. You know, no, I, I hate to do this, but I'm going to do it. You know, how many of you remember Waldo? You remember Waldo, right? When we were little kids, and you, you know, find Waldo. And you would look for these pictures and everywhere you see, Waldo was there somewhere. Well, well beloved, listen, in the Bible... <laughs> Right? Waldo's not there, so don't look for Waldo. Jesus. Everywhere in the scripture, it points to Jesus. So our question is, how can I find Jesus? Where can I find him? And when we begin to look for Jesus, we're going to find those precious gems. Amen? Now let me share with you in Genesis chapter 5, another amazing prophecy. In Genesis chapter 5, the Bible speaks... Of the descendants of Adam. Genesis chapter 5. The Bible speaks of the descendants of Adam. And um, they are given in this order. Let me read them quickly. They are Adam, Seth, Enos, Canaan, Mahalalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and Noah. Now, now all these names carry meanings, and it's just really interesting. I will read the meanings of these names in their order given, and you will see that in these very names is a prophecy of salvation. So here it is. Adam means man. Enos means wretched fallen man. Uh, Canaan means lamenting. Mahalalel means the blessed God. Jared means shall descend. Enoch means teaching, dedicated, disciplined, obedient unto death. Methuselah means his death shall bring. Lamech means power 
Or some say it means the afflicted, and Noah means rest and comfort. So if we read it straight down, it would read, Man, wretched fallen man, lamenting. The blessed God shall descend, teaching dedicated, disciplined, obedient unto death. His death shall bring power, or the afflicted, rest and comfort. Finding Jesus. <laughs> Maybe I should call a message. I find it. No, we're going to stick to his death shall bring. Jesus is everywhere, beloved, in the scripture. Let me focus in on the name Methuselah, meaning his death shall bring. Now, <clears throat> Methuselah was 187 years old when he had uh, Lamech. Lamech was 182 when he had Noah, which would make Methuselah 369 years old when Noah was born. Noah was, Methuselah was Noah's grand, grandfather. Noah preached 600 years. I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. Noah lived 600 years, but he, the, the flood that he preached about came in the 600th year of his life. So that would make Methuselah how old when the flood came? 969 years old. The name Methuselah means what? His death shall bring and how interesting it is that in the very year that Methuselah died, the flood came. So Methuselah was in essence a walking prophecy. His death shall bring. It's almost as though the people may have had some sense that this Methuselah, the oldest living man, something was peculiar about his name. Noah's here preaching, the flood is coming, the flood is coming, the flood is coming. And in the 600th year of Noah's life, Methuselah dies. And everybody said, his death, sh what is his death going to bring? And in that very year, what happened? The flood came. Well, Methuselah is a type of Jesus. Methuselah is a type of Jesus. His death was to bring. And what the Bible lets us know is that when Jesus died, he brought a couple of things. Number one, he brought reconciliation. Romans 5.10. Can anybody say amen to that? When Jesus died, his death brought reconciliation. In Romans 6.23, his death brought us eternal life. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Romans chapter 5, verse 21, thank you, his death brought grace. Or rather, forgiveness for sin and cleansing from sin. And so we see that Jesus' death brought many blessings to humanity. His death shall bring. The Bible lets us know that his death brought power because as many as received him, to them gave he what? Power to become the sons of God. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, he says, uh, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. His death brings power, rest, and comfort. Remember the last three names? Methuselah, Lamech, 
Noah, his death shall bring power, rest, and comfort. Jesus says, through my death I give you power, and come unto me all you that labor, and I will give you rest. And if I die not and go away, I will not send the comforter. His death shall bring. Now, here is where we we really begin to get into the meat of the subject. Do you realize that in the very year that Jesus died, a flood came? Remember John chapter 16, Jesus said, if I go not away, I will not send the comforter unto you. And what he was saying was, if I don't die and, and be resurrected, I cannot send the comforter unto you. Well, in Acts chapter 2, he tells the disciples to pray because a flood is coming. The very death of Christ, that is the event that brought the outpouring of the early rain. Do you see that? His death brought the outpouring of the of the early rain. If that is true, then what is it that will bring about the latter rain? What do you think? You know the answer, you're just kind of confused and you're thinking, I can't say that because he died way back there in Calvary on the cross. Yes, the answer is his death. His death is what will bring the latter rain. Now you say, how is that, Pastor? Let me show you. I want you to go with me to Zechariah. Chapter 12, Zechariah chapter 12, and I want you to notice what the Bible says there, verse 10, I will pour upon the house of David and upon the the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. Listen, in the book of Joel, we are told that we are to be weeping and pleading for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But what is it that brings about the weeping and the pleading? It is when we see what our sins have done To him whom we have what? Pierced. It is his death, the cross of Christ, rightly understood, that will move the people of God to weep between the porch and the altar and pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and then God will answer. His death will bring. I want you to notice with me in Revelation chapter 18. Revelation chapter 18 and verse 1. Revelation 18 verse 1. The Bible tells us here. After these things I saw another angel come down from heaven having great power and the earth was what? Lightened with his glory. 
we understand as Seventh-day Adventists that this angel represents the latter rain. And that this angel is to add his voice to or add power to the what? The three angels' messages. And so something about this angel is to add glory and power to the preaching of the, of the gospel as we understand it in relationship to the three angels' messages. And you say, what could that possibly be? Let me show you Habakkuk chapter 2. Turn there with me very quickly. Habakkuk chapter 2. And I want you to notice verse 14. Chapter 2, verse 14. Listen to what the Bible says here. For the earth shall be what? Filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. So is there a flood coming according to this verse? There is a flood coming that is to cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. We understand that this flood is the latter rain, but what is it in particular? It says it is the knowledge of the glory of God. What does that angel in Revelation 18 descend with? Two things. Glory and what? Power. And it is the glory and power that is to lighten the whole earth with its glory. So you say, Pastor, what is the glory and what is the power? Go with me to the book of Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. And I want you to notice, by the way, let me ask you a question. This angel of Revelation 18, when it descends, it descends with light. Amen? Now, is that light that it descends with new light? You guys are... Come on, think about it. This light that it descends with is a new light. Does Ellen White call the light that, that this angel descends with new light? Oh, no, she does. Yeah. She does. She says God is to bring additional light, new light to his people. This angel of Revelation 18 is to enlighten the world with its glory. We are told that, that, that something about this angel will be new to the people of God. And we're about to discover what that new thing is. Are you ready? You ready for the new thing? Here it is. Galatians chapter 6. And verse 14, listen to what the Bible says. But God forbid that I should glory, save, in the, help me out here, save in the what? Cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. By whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Could it be that that angel that descends in Revelation 18, the new light that he descends with is the old rugged cross? (laughs) 
Could it be that that glory that is to fill the earth is nothing more than something dealing, no, let me rephrase that, than the cross of Jesus Christ? Okay, well, well, you say, well, I don't know about that, Pastor. Listen, let's go to another verse. When, when, when uh, Moses asked God to show him his glory, remember that story? Yeah. Exodus 33, verses 14 through 16. Moses said, show me your glory. And what did God show Moses? His backside, he covered him. And what did he do? How did he show him his glory? He stated his name. That's how he showed him his glory. Now, you ask, why, what, what did he, did he say, my name is Jehovah? No, what did he say? He said, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering. And he begins to go down a, a description of his what, everyone? Character. So his character is, is, is synonymous with his glory. And if that is so, I would ask, simply ask the question, where is the glory of God most greatly manifested in all of creation? Where is it? It is in the cross of Jesus Christ. God forbid that I should glory. Beloved, the angels and every created thing, all their glory is directed to the what? To the cross. And now some of you are not understanding this because you're going, well, wait a minute, you know, we got to be talking about other things. We, we're not supposed to go to the world with a last day message about the cross, are we? I mean, the cross, that's, that's baby stuff. Listen. <clears throat> Selected Messages, Volume 1, page 401. In fact, before I read that, why don't we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. I want you to notice what the Bible says here. Verse 17. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of non-effect. For the preaching of the cross. I want you to read that with me. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. The angel in Revelation 18 descends with two things. Glory and power. Paul tells us here that the power of God is found where? In the preaching of the cross. So this angel descends with new light and that new light, beloved, for seventh day Adventists is the old cross. Now let me read to you. Selected Messages, Volume 1, page 401. The question has been asked me, do you think that the Lord has any more light for us as a people? I answer that he has light that is new to us. And yet it is precious old light. (laughs) That is to shine forth from the word of truth. We have only the glimmers of the ray of light that is yet to come. What is the ray of light that is yet to come that she's talking about? Revelation chapter 18, which she says is new light, but actually it's old light. Beloved, could it be that the new light that everybody's looking for is actually the old rugged cross? Could it be that this angel descends with a message and says, listen up Adventists. 
You have been preaching a dead lion without the honey. For those of you who weren't here this morning, you, hopefully you're all here. <laughs> Could it be that this angel descends and says, listen, focus, if you want to hit your target. You know, I used, to, uh, I used to shoot when I was little. Not little, little, but little. Well, younger than I am now. And uh, one of the things about target practice, you know, I remember when I would look into that, that thing and there would be the shape of a cross. <laughs> oh man, are we to be aiming at Babylon? Has God called us to go into Babylon and to preach a message? Do you want a message that hits the target every time? Let the cross be the focus of the message. And we are told that it will hit its target. Colossians, I mean, Christ's Object Lessons, page 415. The last rays of merciful light, the last message of mercy to be given to the world is a revelation of his character of love. The children of God are to manifest his glory. Where is that glory found? In the cross. In their own life and character, they are to reveal what the grace of God has done for them. Beloved, we are to lift up the blood-stained banner of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And when we go forth under that blood-stained banner, we are going to have a powerful effect. Now listen, what is so important about the cross for God's people? How is it that through the cross we can experience that louder rain and go forth in this generation to preach the gospel? Well... The glory or the character of Christ is revealed in the cross, number one, in this way. When Jesus was on the cross and his enemies were laughing at him and mocking him, what did Jesus pray to his father? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, I'm going to say something to you that's going to make you go, do you realize that if there is someone that you have not forgiven, you have rejected the cross? <laughs> Do you realize the cross? You know, what is a flag? What is a flag? A flag, when you see a flag, that flag uh, 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 stands for certain principles. Amen? So when we see the American flag, what do we think of? We think of certain principles that that flag represents. Likewise, the blood-stained banner is the flag of heaven. Did you get that? And that flag represents certain things. It represents the very character of Christ. So when, when the Bible says that Jesus forgave, on that Father forgive them for they know not what they do, if we refuse to forgive one another, if we hold grudges against one another, we are rejecting our citizenship. We are rejecting the very cross. We say, oh, you know, the cross, the cross. That's the simple thing. No, beloved, the cross is everything. So we must understand that we are to forgive one another. Number one. Number two, Matthew 27, verse 42. Numerous times Jesus was tempted to come down from the cross. You remember that? If you be the son of God, do what? Come down from the cross. Come down from the cross. But Jesus refused to do what? Come down from the cross. What, how does that reflect the character of Christ? Very simple. 
Christ's character on the cross revealed that there was never a reason to give somebody a piece of your mind. (laughs) (laughs) There was never a reason to come down and disobey the express will of God. God told Jesus, I want you to stay on that cross. No matter what. And the devil did everything in his power to say, Christ, here is a good reason to come down off the cross. They are saying that if you are the son of God, prove yourself, prove who you are. And they tempted him to come down, come down, come down. And Jesus stayed upon that cross, revealing that the character of Christ or the glory of God is to be able to stand in the face of temptation and say, I will not come down from the cross no matter what happens. To jump down off the cross. What'd you say? Hold on one second. Let me turn these things out. What, what'd you say to me? <laughs> come on, how many times do you come down from the cross? You know what's interesting? Is it work to stay up on the cross? <laughs> oh, think about that again. Is it work to stay upon the cross? You don't say, oh, you know, keep me up here. No, 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 no. It's not work to stay upon the cross. It's work to come down from the cross. See, when we come down from the cross, that's when our own works kick in. If we let the the, the work of God do its thing in us, God will keep us up there on the cross. You see, righteousness, beloved, is not about what we do. It's about what God does in us. And all God does... Jesus just said, stay on the cross. How am I going to do that? I'll keep you up there. I'll keep you up there. So now my actions are reflective of a work that Jesus is doing inside me. Christ in you, the hope of glory that angel descends and says your focus must be upon the cross because outside of the cross you cannot experience the character the power the glory the rest and the comfort that jesus has for you how else john 15 verse 13 jesus tells us there greater love has no man than this than he what lay his life down for his friends. And what what he's saying there in that principle is, listen, if you accept the cross, if you enlist yourself under the blood-stained banner, one of the principles of that flag, when you look at it, is that God calls you to lay your life down for others. For your friends. Who are your friends? Who who were Jesus' friends? Remember those friends he died for? Who were his friends? What did the Bible call them? Enemies. Those were his friends. You and I, enemies. So Jesus says, if you if you accept the cross. 
The principle that you are enlisting yourself under is that you will be willing to go and lay your life down for those who don't appreciate you. And your principle will be to go and spread the gospel in this generation. Beloved, if, if this generation accepted the cross of Christ and what it really means, the work would be done in one generation. His death would bring. Are you following me? His death is what brings righteousness. His death is what motivates us to go out into the world. His death, understanding what he did for us, is what moves us to weep between the porch and the altar and say, Lord, without your Holy Spirit, we can do nothing. And so it is his death that ultimately brings the latter rain. And so, once we understand that this is the glory and the power that is to descend upon God's people, then we will have a people who are not fighting with each other. Then we will have a people who have laid their glory in the dust at the foot of the cross. Then we will have a people who have been drawn together by one thing and one thing only, and that is the sacrifice of Christ, and they can meet at the foot of the cross and be united in their work. You see, beloved, the cross is about breaking down walls. Isn't that right? Through the cross, he has broken down the middle wall of partition. You want to know why we still have division? Let me get in trouble here. You want to know why we still have... uh, How can I say it? Um, You want to know why we still have uh, church conference... I'm trying to figure out a way to get you guys there to what I'm saying. You want to know why there, is, why, there, why there are these walls of separation even in our worship? It's because we don't understand the cross. If we understood the cross, the walls of partition would be broken down. And let me be quick to qualify. We wouldn't say, hey, let's cast out truth so that we can all just be together. No, the cross lifted up, it unites us upon the principles of truth. Amen. You see? So, so, so God's people are in need of understanding the cross as the center of the message. Now listen to this powerful statement found in Gospel Workers, page 156. Of all professing Christians, Seventh-day Adventists should be foremost in uplifting Christ before the world. The proclamation of the third angel's message calls for the presentation of the Sabbath truth. This truth, with others included in the message, is to be proclaimed. But the great center of attraction, Christ Jesus, must not be left out. Now I want you to think about that for for a moment. What is the center of our message as Seventh-day Adventists? Come on now. One word. What is the great center of attraction? (laughs) Sabbath. Sabbath. 
of course, in connection with the same. All these things are to prove the Sabbath. Notice what Ellen White says. Of all professing Christians, Seventh-day Adventists should be foremost in uplifting not the Sabbath, not the law of God, but Christ to the world. Now, I will qualify that, so don't get up and walk out. But isn't that a shame? That some of us would, would actually be threatened by talking about the need to lift up the cross? Do you see how far we have come? Or rather, how far we have gone? In, in, in wanting so much not to be like those other churches out there, we, we have almost distanced ourselves from the cross. Said, oh yeah, you know, we all agree on the cross. I'm going to tell you something. We don't agree on the cross. The cross is the fundamental issue as we will see in a moment. Listen, this truth with others... Okay, let me, I just read that. It is at the cross of Christ that mercy and truth meet together and righteousness and peace kiss each other. The sinner must be led to look to Calvary and with simple faith of a little child, he must trust in the merits of the Savior, accepting his righteousness, believing in his mercy. Do you realize that the purpose of the three angels' messages is to point people back to Jesus? That is the purpose of the three angels' messages. It is to point people back to Christ. Why? Because he is the only one that can take away your sins. We don't just go and say, you're guilty, what am I going to do? Keep the law. See, for us, that's the remedy. If you keep the law, then you'll be good. You'll be all right. That is not the remedy because by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified. So the three angels' messages are given to point people back to the Lamb of God, back to Jesus Christ, so that he can empower them, he can uh, bless them with, with, with his death. The, the merits that come from his death can be actually exercised in the way that he meant it to be. The world misunderstands the purpose of the cross. And let me show this to you now. Listen, did you realize that the controversy in the last days will be over the cross? And I can show that to you from the book of Revelation, which I'm going to do now. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8. Notice what the Bible says here. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8. The Bible tells us, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of the life of the Lamb, what? Slain from the foundation of the world. Now listen. What did we just read? If you are not in the Lamb's book, the Lamb that was what? Slain. If you are not under that blood-stained banner, if you do not rightly understand and accept that sacrifice of the Lamb, you're going to end up worshiping the beast. All whose names are not written under that blood-stained banner, all who, who do not understand the true principle of the cross will end up worshiping the beast. Let me show you another one. We're going to turn there. Revelation 12, 11. You know it. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb. 
What does the blood of the Lamb symbolize or speak about? It speaks about the sacrifice of Christ, the cross. How is it that we overcome in the last days? Very simple. We must... The cross must become the center of our lives. The cross must become the center of everything. And I'm going to show you how, towards the end of this message, why it is that the cross will keep us in the end of time, in the time of trouble. But I want to share this with you. Listen, we talked about earlier... That uh, Oh, by the way, John 12, 32. What does that say? And I, if I be what? Lifted up, will draw all men unto me. Question, what is it that draws people out of Babylon? <laughs> what is it that calls people out of Babylon? Jesus tells us himself, I, if I be what? lifted up will draw all men unto me. How many of you are interested in drawing the people out of Babylon? Jesus says, go forth and lift me up. Make me, make the cross the center of the three angels' messages. It doesn't say do away with the three angels' messages. Make the cross the center of the three angels' messages. So, how do we do that? Listen, I want to share with you that Christians out there do not understand the real meaning of the cross. They, you know, what does the American flag stand for? Give me some words. Freedom, liberty, justice. Oh, well, we use all those words. That's what everyone thinks when we think about the American flag. Okay? Now, let me ask you something. What is a thief's concept of freedom? Freedom to take whatever he wants. Now, is that concept of freedom in line with the American flag? Please, don't say anything else then, though, okay? <laughs> no, that is not in line with the principles of the American flag. In fact, that would be... Uh, uh, let's say that somebody looked at the American flag and said, oh, man, this flag stands for communism, dictatorship. You would ask the question, what flag are you looking at? Right? That would be anti-American. It would be anti-flag. We might say to be anti-flag or to be anti-American is to be anti-what? Anti-flag. Isn't that right? To be against America is to be against what that flag stands for. Anti-American is to be anti-flag. American flag. Well, listen. When... When the Christian world looks at the blood-stained banner, do you realize that they see something different than Seventh-day Adventists? See, we say, yeah, the cross, we, you know, let's not, the, the cross, we all agree with that. Let's deal with the real issues. No, beloved, we disagree on the cross. That is the fundamental disagreement. Listen, there are three reasons that we can give for the death of Christ. Number one, we understand that Christ died for guilty humanity, right? He died for mankind, and so as we look upon that cross, we see that, 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 that mysterious victim, Ellen White calls, it, calls him. He's on the cross, he's, he, he's dead, we wonder why, and the answer is, he died for our, what? For our sins. We know that the cross is designed to solve the sin problem, Right? Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the what? Sins of the world. So the question is, 
you know, what could God, what did the cross symbolize? In other words, what would God use the cross to get rid of? We have one option. God could have gotten rid of guilty man. Because that was the problem. Anybody guilty in here? God could have gotten rid of us and just wiped out the entire human race. But you know what he did? He said, ah, you know, I could do that. But, and John says, for God so loved the world that, now watch this, between guilty humanity and his son, God says, I will let my son die so that man can have a second chance. Now, beloved, what that does is it establishes the worth of of humanity in the eyes of God. Amen? Amen? God gave up his own son that we might have a second chance. So we know that cross demonstrates God's love for humanity. He loved us so much that he gave up his own what? Son. And yeah, the whole Christian churches agree on that. But here's the second part. There's another option. You see, God could have gotten rid of the thing that declared man to be guilty. What is that thing that declared man to be guilty? The law of God. And guess what the Christian churches went see when they see the bloodstained banner? Freedom! Can't you see we are free? The cross of Christ has gotten rid of the thing that declared us guilty. And beloved, the Christian church has a faulty view of the cross. Now listen to this. Jesus had an option. He could have, in fact, the Bible tells us in 2 Peter that the angels that sinned in heaven. Now what does sin mean? Sin is what? Transgression of the law. So here you have angels in heaven that sinned. They had broken God's what? Law. So now God is faced with a choice. Either he can get rid of his law so that the angels will no longer be what? Guilty. Or he can keep his law and ask the angels to leave. And beloved, between the law of God and between the angels... God reverenced his law so much, the Bible says, for if God spared not the angels. Now let me ask you a question. If God did not change the law for angels, what makes you think, what makes me think that he would change or get rid of the law for me? So, so in essence, but, but see, see, I mean, that's the light part. Here's the deep part. In Romans 8, 31 and 32, the Bible says, if God spared not his own son. Okay. 
yeah, you're. Uh. So here God is, he's got an option between his law and his son. I can let my son die, or I can get rid of the law so that he will not be declared guilty. The law or my son? The law or my son? The law or my son? And in fact, Jesus is in the garden praying, if there be some other way, if there can be a way in which I don't have to go through this, then let's figure that way out. And God could have easily said, you know what we can do? We can change the law. But the Bible says, God spared not his own son. Beloved, that shows the, the, the regard that God has upon his law that he wouldn't even change it for his own son. So now, what does the cross symbolize? What does the bloodstained banner symbolize? On the one hand, it, it symbolizes God's amazing love for mankind. But on the other hand, it symbolizes God's amazing reverence for his law. So now watch this. If, if you believe that the, that the cross of Christ stands for the doing away or the changing of the law, you are actually against the cross. You are anti-cross. And the anti-Christ is anti-cross. You see, beloved, we're going to the world saying, keep the Sabbath. Why? Because it's in a commandment. I'm not going to do it. That's an old commandment. Yes, you are. Keep the Sabbath. <laughs> and it's this big debate. And I don't see it. Okay, all right. The Sabbath is on the seventh day. So what? What is the significance, beloved, when we present it centered in the cross? Hey, do you believe in a cross? Yes, I'm a Christian. Are you really a Christian? Mm-hmm. You really believe in the cross? Uh-huh. <laughs> well, might I ask you a few questions? And beloved, it will get to the place where if, if the world will see that in rejecting the Sabbath, they are rejecting the cross. See, that is the power. When you put the cross into the center of the preaching, how can you debate that? You cannot debate that. Listen. As the sinner looks upon the Savior dying upon Calvary and realizes that the sufferer is divine, he asks why this great sacrifice has been made. And the cross points to the holy law of God which has been transgressed. The death of Christ is an unanswerable argument to the immutability and the righteousness of the law. Bible Echo, March 15th, 1893. The cross of Christ is an inanswerable, unanswerable argument to the validity of the Sabbath. See, we're not sidestepping the Sabbath. We're simply saying, look, the cross is the center of the Sabbath. Amen? Amen. And when we add, beloved, that, that angel of Revelation 18 descends with glory and power saying, put the cross into your preaching and watch what it does. People will not be able to gainsay, they will not be able to argue against it, and multitudes will come out. But it's not just a message of preaching, beloved. We've got to live the cross. We can't just preach and not live the cross. The two go hand in hand. 
presenting the cross of Calvary, we are to cry, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. When we shall cease to trust in man and shall make God our efficiency, we shall see the earth filled with the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. We're talking about the cross, beloved. Now I want you to listen to this. The second angel's message. What is the second angel's message? Babylon is fallen because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, right? And it says, come out of her because uh, her sins have reached unto heaven. What are her sins? What is sin? Transgression of what? Transgression of the law. And we're told that Daniel 7.25, that he would think to change times and laws. Listen, to reject the law of God is to reject the, the cross. That's simple. But I want you to notice this. What does Babylon mean? Confusion. And they are confused over the cross. They are confused over the cross. What does Babylon give to the world? It offers the world wine. Okay? What does it offer the world, everyone? Wine. wine. Why is that so significant? Well... The wine is a counterfeit of something. Remember when Jesus was at that last supper and he was breaking the bread and he gave the wine. What did he say about the wine? This is the blood of my, of the new testament or covenant. What is the new covenant? It's God writing his law in your heart. So Jesus says, look, this blood or this symbolic wine, is, it, 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 it symbolizes the new covenant law in my blood. Now, beloved, the reason why we overcome by the blood of the lamb is because when we get the blood of the lamb, it has this special DNA thing in it called the law of God. That's what's so special about the blood. It is like we inherit in, in us the righteousness of Christ. And isn't that the only way that we can attain to righteousness? We have to inherit it. We have to be born again. So this New Testament cup represented the law of God written in our hearts. Babylon comes along with it. And by the way, was this wine fermented or unfermented? Unfermented. Babylon comes along with this wine that is fermented. In other words, they come with a counterfeit gospel. A counterfeit covenant with Sunday at its heart. And interestingly enough, the Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs, do not drink, it, it, it says, it is not for kings to drink, lest they drink and forget the law. You see, that cup that Babylon is giving to the world of counterfeit wine is simply a counterfeit version of what Jesus did on the cross. It is simply saying, hey, when Jesus died, you were set free from that old Sabbath. And now, because of the death of Christ and his resurrection, we now keep Sunday. It's a counterfeit covenant. And so, beloved, what do you think God has his people to do? Go on a blood drive. That's what this final generation is about. It is about taking the, the true, pure, unadulterated blood of Jesus Christ to the world. 
It's all about the blood. It's all about his death. It's all about the cross. Are you? Are you? Am I just up here struggling by myself? Are you following me? It's about his death, what he did for us on Calvary, his cross, and that is to be the center of the three angels' messages, beloved. And when that is made the center, what true Christian can reject the blood or the cross of Christ? That's why the sincere in Babylon, when they hear the message centered in the cross, the glory and the power, they will say, oh, well, what's there to argue about that? Where is the water? And now the third angel's message. We're going to close on this. The third angel's message. The third angel warns against receiving the mark. And that mark will be given to all who reject the cross of Christ. All who reject what Jesus did for them on the cross, which is the center of the gospel message, all who reject what Christ did. In fact, I'm just thinking now, I found a beautiful quote yesterday and I don't remember where it is. All I remember is that it says that all who are lost in the last days from the pen of Ellen White, all who are lost in the last days will be lost, all who are lost in the last days will be lost as a result of rejecting the sacrifice of Christ. Listen, in the last days, the cross is going to be the central issue. God's people must learn how to stay upon the cross. See, the whole controversy is going to be about this. Is the cross powerful enough to keep a person from going against the will of God? That's all it boils down to. Is the cross powerful enough so that when we're in the last days and, and we're on that cross and the, and, and, and the world is doing everything they can saying, come down from the cross. You don't have money to buy or sell. Come down from the... The whole argument is come down from the cross. I just made up a phrase, cling or sin. Cling or sin. Cling to the cross. You have two options. You can either cling or you can sin. In the last days, the devil will say, come down from the cross. And if we refuse to cling, we will end up sinning. We will end up going against the very will of God. Beloved, the cross of Christ represents death to self. Anybody know what a flat line is? The cross of Christ, beloved, represents a spiritual flatline where God calls us to say, I want you to learn how to die and to master dying to self. So that no matter what the devil does, all he gets in response is, this God's not responding. And they'll try to do everything. The time of trouble is about, is about Satan trying to resuscitate. Mouth to mouth. If he can just breathe his spirit into you one last time and bring you back to life. Beloved, listen. There are two death decrees in the last days. Did you know? You didn't know it. There were two. The, Satan has one and God has one. God says, you better die. That is a, he says, you better die. And if you don't die, you're going to die. 
That's the death decree. And so it all revolves around his death. Those who say, Lord, I would rather die than die. I would rather die than die. Those are they who have understood Methuselah. His death is going to bring me through this. His death is going to keep me on the cross. His death, what he did for me, is going to keep me faithful in the last days. Not myself, not my works, but what he did for me. His death is what is going to keep me from bowing down before the image of the beast. His death is what is going to keep me from receiving the mark. His death, beloved, will bring. And so that angel that descends says, Church, I know you've been preaching the three angels' messages. I know you've been preaching your prophecy. I know you've been been preaching we've got to get the victory over sin. I know you've been preaching all these things, but I want you to add a special ingredient into your preaching and watch what it does, not only for the message, but what it does for you in your own heart. Beloved, his death will bring the rain. His death will bring the flood. I got a special appeal. You are alive. You're alive. You're alive to the things of this world. You are alive. You you are loving the things of this world. And, and, And you hear the voice of Christ calling you tonight saying, Son, my daughter, my death can bring you out of what you are loving right now. My death can draw you from the world. I, if I be lifted up, beloved, I believe this message lifts up Christ. I, if I be lifted up, will draw you unto me. And you've got something that you're struggling with or some decision that you need to make in terms of coming closer to Christ and you are wrestling with that decision and tonight you hear the voice of God saying, I am calling you, my son, my daughter, to flatline. To flatline. I'm calling you to allow my death to become a reality in your life. It's not going to be your work. It's going to be my work. I will work it through you. You know, isn't it a fearful thing to die? Isn't it a fearful thing to die? It is. Nobody wants to die. Self doesn't want to die. But Jesus tells us that unless we die, we will not be able to connect with him. So tonight you're saying, Lord, I want to die. I want to die. And this is not general. I'm talking about for those of you who are dealing specifically with giving your heart fully to Christ. Lord, I heard your voice tonight and I want to die. Would you raise your hand? I heard your voice tonight and I want to die to self. I want your death to bring the power, rest, and comfort that I need in my life. Beloved, I believe that this is the generation 
This is the generation. And if we will but take that cross and take first internalize it within ourselves and then take it to the world, we will see the work finished in a very little while. Bow your heads with me, Heavenly Father. You are calling us nearer and nearer to the cross. Father, you are moving us as a church, as a people, to see that precious old light in a new way. Father, grant us the glory and the power revealed in the cross of Calvary that we may be one forgiving, two unwilling to come down from the cross no matter what the devil does. And Father, when we have internalized the glory and the power, may we then go forth with the glory and the power. And Lord, we know that you have honest and sincere people in Babylon who are waiting to hear the truth and the truth will be most clearly presented as we lift up the cross and make it the center of our message. I pray for those tonight, Lord, who have made a decision, who are who were on the, the fence, wrestling, struggling, trying to decide whether they would go fully with you all the way. Lord, I ask that you would give them your spirit and may they be drawn to you because of what you did for us on the cross. And Father, we thank you for speaking to us tonight. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.